welcome to the Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival podcast. This is season one, episode 29, Stronger Together, Social Justice in Young Adult Literature, with authors Jennifer De Leon, Shamile Sayed Mendez, Lilian Rivera, Lucas Rocha, and Jenny Torres Sanchez. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to the first ever Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival. Um, it is such an honor to be here with these fabulous rock star authors. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to mention that we have our anti-harassment policy in the chat box, so please take a look at that. And um, I can't wait to get started here. Um, so I am a huge, huge fan of every author here. This is the dream panel. So I'm gonna try to like calm my fangirl like vibes. Um, but I'd love to start by introducing everyone and then we'll dive right into the first question. Um, so first, if, if I introduce you, if you could hold up your book as well, your current book, I should say. Liliam Rivera is an award-winning writer and author of children's books, including her latest, Never Look Back, incredible. Um, it's a retelling of the Greek myth, um, Orpheus and Eurydice. How do you say that? Um, Eurydice. I had to practice many, many times. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, set in New York, in New York um, and it's been published by Bloomsbury. Her work has also appeared in the Washington Post, the New York Times, and Elle, to name a few. Lilian lives in Los Angeles. Um, we also have Lucas um, Roca, who is a librarian. Did I say your name correctly? Rocha? Russia. Russia, yep. Who is a librarian living in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He received his MS in information science from Fluminense Federal University in Rio, Brazil. Where We Go From Here is his first novel. Also incredible. Oh my God, I can't wait to talk about all these books. All right, and then Jenny Torres Sanchez. She is a full-time writer and former English teacher. Shout out to the teachers. She was born in Brooklyn, New York, but has lived on the border of two worlds her whole life. She is the author of We Are Not From Here, The Fall of Innocence, Because of the Sun, Death Dickinson and the Demented Life of Frenchie Garcia, and The Downside of Being Charlie. She lives in Orlando, Florida with her husband and children. And last but not least, we have Shamile Saeed Mendez, who is a football-obsessed Argentine-American who loves meteor showers, summer, astrology, and pizza. She lives in Utah with her Puerto Rican husband and their five kids, two adorable dogs, and one majestic cat. An inaugural Walter Dean Myers Grant recipient, she's also a graduate of Voices of Our Nation, Bona, and the Vermont College of Fine Arts MFA Writing for Children's and Young Adult Program. She is a picture book, middle grade, and YA author, She's also part of Las Musas, the first collective of women and non-binary Latinx middle grade and YA authors. And also Las Musas is um, organizing this entire festival. So it's, it's really great um, to have you all here. My name is Jennifer DeLeon and I am an author and editor um, and teacher uh, living in Boston, in the Boston area. And I'm the author of Don't Ask Me Where I'm From, which is my debut YA novel. So here we are, 
I'm so excited. Let's get started. I feel like I want to ask you 10 million questions, um, <laughs> but I will start with a question that is kind of general, but I hope will allow you to all share a story, a mini story. I'm dying to know, how did you take a huge topic, a big topic, right, of social justice, um, of Hurricane Maria, uh, of HIV in Brazil? You know, there's so many incredible topics here. How do you take this huge issue um, and distill it down into one story? So if each of you could actually share um, how you went from taking this seed of an idea and bringing it to this full-blown gorgeous tree that, that you have each done. So um, why don't we start with Liliam and then we'll go to Lucas, Jenny, and then Shamile. Oh, it's thank you so much, Jen. And thanks for being our moderator today. And um, much love to Las Musas and to everyone here today. And shout out to Brazil, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> so um, how did we do this? I don't, um, all my books have some sort of social justice something in it, you know, and it's not like I go in thinking that I'm going to do that. It's just because I, this is my life and I'm always talking about it. It's, you know, it's the things that I am trying to, um, to incorporate, you know, and, and deal with and overcome, you know, and overcome. And so, um, but for never look back, Hurricane Maria affected my family greatly. You know, it, uh, I had a missing uncle who I had to go on, Twitter and social media just to try to find a way of getting to him. Wow. You know, he was like 80 years old and, you know, and I, I'm just one story of many, right? Like so many people were suffering mm -hmm. and this pain and this, you know, and this feeling of hopelessness, it lasted for over a year. <laughs> you know, I wrote an essay about it um, for a publication. I, I, I just, it was taking over so much of me and it filled me with such depression. And so I didn't know how to write. I didn't know how to write my next novel um, without it being all about hate yeah. <laughs> and rage. And so I really was struggling. And um, and because I, you know, I, I have to mention Brazil is because I fell in love. You know, I, when I was a little kid, I fell in love with the movie Black Orpheus, which is a retelling of the Greek myth Orpheus and Eurydice. And so that, yeah, I watched that when I was eight years old in the Bronx and, um, and it was something that I constantly watch and I constantly cry about, you know? And so I, I had to figure out a way of writing about love and hope because I was in such a dark place. Mm -hmm. And so then how can I write about love and hope? I had to figure out a structure and I used the Greek myth as my way of containing this huge story, you know, Hurricane Maria, these two young Afro-Latinos trying to find each other, struggling from not even like supernatural obstacles, but also just current everyday obstacles. Mm -hmm. And so then how do I write about that and, and, not, and not fall into a deep, dark despair? <laughs> so I had to write towards hope. And I, you know, and I was inspired by Black Orpheus. I was inspired by the, uh, the Greek myth and it became my structure. And that was the way I was able to contain it all in one spot. And, 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 and write about this true, you know, write about young love, which is what I really needed actually. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that so much. And how you mentioned, like you're telling one story of many, you know, and, um, and that's, that's something that I think we can do. I think there's pressure sometimes to write about, you know, in, in all caps, Hurricane Maria, 
right? Or like young people's experience with hurricane. It's, it's too much pressure. It's just too big. And so I love how you you took um, some of your past and your passion for this movie and then this, I mean, century old structure, right? Story mm -hmm. made it modern and new. And it was so brilliant and creative mm -hmm. and a total page turner. I mean, I, I was just like, I need to know what happens. <laughs> And it was scary too, like with the waiters with their faces and everything. I won't give it away for people. <laughs> you need to go get it because it, it will keep you up at night. So thank you for sharing that story. I, I love hearing the origin stories of, of novels. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, so Lucas. Yes, so first of all, thank you so much for you, Jen, for moderating this panel. Thank you everyone for being here, for inviting me. It's such an honor to be part of this dream team. So to where we go from here, one of those, those things that Lillian talked about hope, that's something that really resonates to me because I really want to write a story that talks about hope and not about death and not about loneliness. Uh, that is kind of what people first think thinks when they are thinking about HIV or about the LGBT community is always something like, oh, the, the loneliness of the end of their lives. And I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk a story about those kids that had to deal with something that's very real and is part of everyone's mm -hmm. life, but in a way that could be hopeful. So other kids could read this book and could understand that HIV is not the end of life. It's not something that should be such a big problem. And the main problem of HIV is really the prejudice. So this story kind of started, the seed of the story kind of started when I worked at a, at a health journal. I worked there as a librarian. And one day I read an article that talked uh, a little bit about how Brazilian people perceive HIV on the 21st century. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of different interviews and there was a lot of talking of things that I, I I thought in my mind that was something of the AIDS crisis of the 80s and the 90s, but I still prejudice there exists today. So I thought, what can I do about it to change that? How can I change that even if for one or 10 people, you know? <laughs> so I started to write about these three kids. It's, it's from, it's, this book told from three different perspectives and how each, each one of them deals with HIV because we have this kid that just found out that he has the virus, he, he's HIV positive. We have the, the other one that has HIV for three years. We have a third one that does not have HIV, but he is in a relationship with someone who has it. So there's a lot of different questionings mm. throughout the book. Mm. And I really wanted to shed a, a light on this and bring forth that the, the biggest issue today is the prejudice because especially in Brazil and in other countries of Latin America, the HIV treatment evolved so much and it's so well covered by the government. And it is something that it's, I, I, I get very proud to say that in Brazil, we have one of, one of the, the best treatments for HIV in the world. Wow. It's something that, that really gets me. And every time someone talks about, oh, uh, it's, it's really free, it's really just that easy. And yes, it is just, it's just that easy if you live in a big city like Sao Paulo, like Rio, the treatment is very easy and it's very aff affordable because it's free. <laughs> so 
and that gives me very much I don't know, it, it, it's, it's a feeling so good to me. And that's kind of how the story developed itself. Wow, wow, oh my goodness. Yeah, I think you're right about this um, idea of subverting expectations. Like people think, oh, if you're going to write a novel about three young teens who have HIV, like it's going to be a sad story. And it's like, you know what? No, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be um, that way. And so I, I just love how you're, your novel pulls the curtain back on a lot of the um, the misconceptions that people have about HIV and AIDS, and it's it also a page turner. You know, like I I don't know, but maybe it says a lot about me. But I just want to know what happens with like the love interest, like all the relationships. I'm like, oh yeah, let's see what's gonna happen. Um, so I think you do such a great job of that, and and of smashing that um, single story that Chimamanda Adichie references in, in her TED talk, right? The danger of the single story. Like there's not just one story about Brazil or about a teen in Brazil or about a teen who's HIV positive in Brazil. I mean, it's it's really incredible what you've done. So thank you. Thank you. And Jenny, oh my God, Jenny, I have your book. I have all of your books and I, Aww. like earmarked <laughs> so many pages here because I, I read it when it first came out and I just basically didn't see my family for like that whole like three days. I was glued to the story <laughs> and on the couch and um, I'm just, I'm so eager to hear your, your story of the story. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, and thank you all uh, on the panel for, for getting together and doing this. I'm so honored to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, we are not from here. Um, my experience when I was listening to Lilian is, is very similar. It, it's, I was in this place where I was um, uh, kind of full of rage and hurt about what was happening in my community. And I really needed to say something about it and write a story about it. Um, you know, when we when we hear about um, children who are migrants um, and, and we see their stories on television, what I was always struck with was how short um, and, and clipped down and you know chopped up those stories were, mm -hmm. and how they just run through our timeline on Twitter, or you know we hear this one minute story on television, or or worse, we're just given like a bunch of numbers, you know, that are constantly changing and referring to different things. And um, there's nothing personal about that, you know? Um, and I wanted this story to become very personal to mm -hmm. the reader. It's a story that's very personal to me. Uh, my parents are from Central America. My mom's from Guatemala. My dad's from El Salvador. And um, my husband's from Mexico, you know? So it's kind of like, I'm very familiar with all of the communities. Uh, I went to Guatemala a lot growing up. Um, in fact, you know, Puerto Barrios, where this where um, Ulga's house in the story is, you know, my tia's house. I mean, it's modeled after that. Um, so it's a story that's very personal in that, uh, when I was hearing what was happening to, to children and to families, um, I saw the faces of my family. Mm. You know, I saw my cousins, I saw my tias and my tios, I saw my siblings and myself in those faces. I saw my children, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like far fetched 
for me to to picture them going through all of this. Right. Um, so it was just a story that was born from this place where I, I wanted to demand more attention to what was really happening and to really get into, you know, all the the grittiness of it, the truth of it, but but also doing that, um, portraying the beauty of our community. You know, because when you hear about Guatemala or Honduras or El Salvador or Mexico, you, you, a lot of people just think of like these negative, terrible things um, because, you know, that comes from the highest offices in our country in the United States. That's what people, you know, refer them as. And I wanted to spend time showing the truth of what was happening and also the beauty of community and of family and, and the love. Um, and all of that. So, so you know, that's where it came from. You take a big issue and you make it very personal. That's exactly right. And I, I think you did a gorgeous job. And there are just so many details down to, um, it's, so, it's so small, but like the, the lotion that the mom uses, the Pond's cream, yeah. us, you know, like I, I just see it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I once heard this great advice, um, about writing stories, like going from big topics to making singular stories. Um, and that is to, to really focus on going a mile deep and not a mile wide. And, and mm -hmm. like, you know, like when, when we're faced with the statistics and with the numbers and everything, it, it, it's sort of going wide. It's like, this is the, these are the numbers. But when you are deep diving into these stories of these three characters, I mean, I felt for them and, um, you know, if, if you're if you're looking for a, just a really gorgeous, dramatic read that is also full of beauty, I mean, this this is the book. Um, and both my parents are from Guatemala, so I oh. felt so connected on on so many levels. And I, I wish I'd had this book when I was growing up. You know, I I, I definitely I definitely am glad. I'll give it to my sons. That's for sure. Thank you. Um, okay, and then we have Shamile. Oh my goodness! So I have to tell you, I got your book i got, got it. it i got it on friday <laughs> my weekend i was obsessed i <laughs> i'm so glad <laughs> i felt like i entered like a movie like i was in a movie like what is happening and you know it's just it's so incredible because i went in thinking like okay this is going to be a, a story mostly about a young girl in argentina who is um, she wants to be a professional futbolista, soccer player, right? And it was about so much more, you know, like it was about that, but it was about so much more. And um, again, the love relationships, I'm telling you, I was like down to the last page, like, Diego, come on. Um, <laughs> come on, dude, make your move. <laughs> I love it. So uh, I'm going. I'm going to bring the conversation full circle because we're talking about how to make bring a huge story or thing and uh, condense it into one character. So with Furia, maybe because I started writing it a long time ago, before I even knew what I was doing, I went kind of the opposite way because I always knew that I wanted to write about this character, this girl who had this dream. But then as I kept revising and growing as a person and a woman and becoming more familiarized with the history of soccer in Latin America, especially, and then the Nuna Menos movement started in 2015, 
it kind of like I realized that the story was way more than just about this character and that I couldn't there wouldn't be a Camila there wouldn't be a Marta today or who is the, the the best soccer player ever like man or woman there's no contest she is the best <laughs> that has ever played the game so there wouldn't be a Marta there wouldn't be a US soccer national team that has won so many World Cups and, and championships without the work of the feminist movement mm -hmm. that started more than 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. So although soccer is sometimes people say it's the sport that unifies the whole world, especially during the World Cup, uh, women have always been uh, not even in the margins. We were not even allowed to be commentators sometimes or even be fans of the sport. And when in reality, we have been the protagonist since the very beginning. And because sometimes soccer in our community has been equated to masculinity, it was just the perfect vehicle to show this rebellion of this girl and her team and the community of women and on and on and on until it becomes bigger. When they claim this sport to, to free themselves from all these bands that society has tied around them. So uh, it was just like, you know, those those Russian dolls that you open it and okay, it was kind of the opposite that I did with as I was working with Furia from my little character, it kept growing and growing and encompassing more things. And, and that's the beauty of story. Like you said, Jen, we and everybody else has mentioned, we hear these numbers of the 54,000 people who died during the hurricane and the millions who have a um, HIV or the, the ones that cross the, the, the border unaccompanied. And so they, they're just numbers. But when we hear their particular story and that each one of these stories, like this big thread in the net of humanity, mm. that if we break one of them apart, we mm. all come apart. Yeah. So, but it's so important to, to shine a light on, on each one of these stories, uh, which just show a one facet of what it means to be a human being. And this morning when I was getting ready for the festival, and although it's oh, it's afternoon in most of the places where you are from, I mean, Utah, so we're getting close, it's 11 something here. Uh, I did it, but I've been planning for this uh, panel for a long time, but I did not plan on wearing a shirt that would come on encompass the theme of the panel <laughs> hope. Because although I've been, we all work with such different topics. Yeah. The one thing that I that I wanted uh, the most was to show the hope mm. that the characters have to have so that they could survive to tell their stories. And even if the hope uh, manifests in fury and in rage and these other emotions, just yeah. because they know there can be a better future or a better reality. And that's what they're striving for. Right, right. Oh, it's so beautiful really really well put um it just makes me want to um hang out with you all like all day um <laughs> so next year we'll have this we'll have to have this panel in person but um but how how fortunate right that we're able to do this work um it's a lot of responsibility but it's a huge privilege as well and to be able to to kind of you know like you said um spin together hope through stories for young people, for all people, um, it's it's just incredible. So I have so many questions about uh, craft and just maybe how you chose um, the particular structure for your book. 
Um, I'm curious for those of you who, who chose multiple points of view, um, Lucas and Jenny, you each have three points of view, Lilian, you have two points of view. So um, I don't know if you wanna speak um, briefly just on why you thought it was important to, to have more than one narrator and, and then we'll, we'll move on. So let's start with Jenny and then, and then Lucas. Um, yeah, so I wanted to show how um, we have in, in my story, we have Pulga and Pequeña who are both, um, you know, who each they, they take turns and, and tell us what they're going through um, and how the trip is for them. And what I really hoped would come across is how um, every migrant's journey is um, similar, but it's also very different. And we see how these different things, you know, that both Pulga and Pequeña are experiencing affect them in different ways. Um, we also see how they start off at a different point when they leave. You know, Pulga is full of um, just this feeling that, that he can conquer and he can do this, even though he's afraid, he truly believes that, that he's going to be able to make this journey and he's going to come out of it rather unaffected, I guess, you know? And Pequeña starts off in this place of deep despair and, mm -hmm. and pain. And, you know, she questions whether she can even begin this journey, but she does. Um, and we see how, how those two, I guess, uh, attitudes and um, feelings kind of change. You know, we see Pulga kind of go downwards um, and, the, and the journey really kind of beat him up a bit. And we see Pequeña kind of rising um, mm -hmm. and coming out of this a little bit and finally kind of seeing more hope even as the journey progresses and even as it becomes more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I don't want anybody to think, you know, I'm telling this story about um, children who are migrating and that that they all have the same story it's all very different there are different circumstances there are different um things that they bring with them on that journey right yeah. and uh i i but there's also that similarity right. there's also that thing that you know they are all going through so really to kind of show um the difference and especially i wanted to make sure i included a male point of view and a female uh, point of view because I wanted to bring attention to how how difficult and how different it is to move through this world as female or female identifying. Yes. Um, and I thought that was really important, especially in a story like this. Um, so those were some of the things that, you know, uh, affected my my decision and, and how I told this story. Right, right. You're right. The, the two points of view. Um, for me, just they, they make the book, you know, and I was thinking of three because the third character, oh my God. And yes. I won't tell anybody what happens, but yes. I was crying. I really was. Um, and and you're right, you know, at one point I think um again she has she um disguises herself as as a boy, right? Mm -hmm. and she her hair pulled back and the hat and for purposes of safety. And it, mm -hmm. it's just like one of many examples of um how different her journey was. So yeah. thank you so much. So Lucas, yeah, why did you choose uh, multiple points of view? To me, actually, it came very naturally because when I started outlining the book, the first scene on my mind was that of the opening chapter that I knew that I want that uh, main character have their HIV positive mm -hmm. diagnosis. 
So while I'm writing this scene, I describe a guy sitting next to him, messing with his phone. And then I thought, well, who is this second guy who's there? Why he's there? Why is he there? So I outlined the second character and then I gave him a love interest. And then I, I found out, well, who is this love interest? And then I came with the third character. But I think as, as I was writing the book, the main thing that I wanted to pay attention was community. I wanted to, to talk a lot about friendship and a lot of how one people can help each other during the journey of our lives and in particular the journey with HIV. How one character that has more experience can, I don't know, uh, bring someone calm, to calm down a little bit because it's not at the end of the world. And I really wanted to talk about different things that I was uh, I wouldn't be able to talk about with just one character. I want to talk about the loneliness of an HIV positive person that a, a person that is recently diagnosed doesn't doesn't deal with immediately. I wanted to talk about the prejudice of someone who is HIV negative but doesn't know what that means when when he starts a relationship with someone who is HIV positive. And I wanted to talk about those different families that they have, these different relations to the world that they have, because at the same time that Victor, for example, who is the, the youngest of the three, he has the most comprehensive family, he has the cool parents, and he is still the most prejudiced kid of the book. Mm. So they have, they have, he has a lot to learn because he has to understand where those prejudices can come from because it's not from his family because his family is super open it's about it's i don't know the worlds and how the world portrays hiv and hiv positive people so i i really wanted to tackle on these different subjects and i guess with just one character i wouldn't be able mm -hmm. and with three i guess i was able to put i don't know the, the most of the things that i wanted mm -hmm. uh, i guess it went well at the end yeah, oh, I love that. Um, I'm so glad that you you did choose the three um, points of view because it does, like you said, um, it's kind of like getting um, different slices of the same pie, you know, like you, you're able to really experience it fully in that way. And um, and Liliam, I, I feel like I know why you chose two points of view <laughs> because of the structure, or, I mean, the, the story, and you followed that same um, kind of retelling. Yeah, I mean, if you read the various versions of the Orpheus and Eurydice, it focuses mostly on the on Orpheus's story, and um, and I just um, I wasn't I'm not I'm interested in that story, but not as much. <laughs> like I really wanted to understand um, Eurydice's story. So my novel, for the most part, is is told in alternating points of view, but it's really focusing on Eurydice's. Uh, side you know Eurydice's mm -hmm. uh Yuri's uh story and um and and we really kind of dig into the fact that she's you know suffering from PTSD from the uh, Hurricane Maria from surviving Hurricane Maria but she's also suffering um or trying to overcome or or just battling this kind of a really abusive <laughs> stalkering mm -hmm. uh angry spirit that has yeah. been hounding her since she was a little kid and so and this idea of what you know, very abusive relationships, you know, and how that manifests in our lives and young women lives. Right. And, um, and what we right. do to like hide those, 
you know, those stories, those, uh, those real truths. Right. So, um, so yeah. I really wanted yeah. to make sure I got both I of them. <laughs> so yeah, it was really fun, fun yeah. for me so to do hard. that. No. Not fun. It was hard, but it was, it was good for, it was good for me. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> it wasn't that. fun. <laughs> and that's, um, that's something I want to talk about as well, but, but it's just so great that in your retelling, you can do whatever you want. You know, I think sometimes other writers don't realize that or, or aspiring writers are thinking like, oh, I have to do it this way, that way. It's like, no, you, you're the author, you have authority. That's the, the word author is in authority and you have that. And you can, um, there can be a dozen retellings more. Um, so that's, I think, inspiring. And what I especially took away from, from your book, so many amazing things, but one thing is that Yuri didn't in the end um, need to be quote unquote saved in the sense mm. that um, she was waiting for this boy to save her, you know, like she ended up saving her, oh, spoiler alert, saving <laughs> herself, right? But, but in the same way, Shamila, like in your book, I I, I so appreciated that as well, you know, um, because it's it's kind of like all arrows were pointing towards one direction where you're kind of like, oh, Diego's gonna fly in from Italy and save the day and sweep her away and she's never gonna have to want for anything the rest of her life. And that moment um, where she decides to really take her, her story and her future into her own hands, I, I just was like, you know, clapping, like <laughs> you could hear me all the way in Utah, you know, but I was like, this is just phenomenal um, because it's, it's another example that you can show um, young readers. And I didn't know if, if you wanted to share a little bit about whether that was always the case in your drafts or if you um, found that to be something that you wanted to create later in revisions, like how that um, story arc came to be. Now, uh, Camila was always going to save herself in one way or another. And the ways in which she did it changed throughout revisions, but, uh, but I always knew that it wasn't going to be Diego. And the, the thing that I wanted to showcase the most in their love story is that their love story is not a toxic love. He is a good person. He really does love her and she loves him too. But sometimes things happen at the wrong time. And sometimes a good opportunity or a good relationship can be the worst obstacle that can present in your way. And that's what happens to Camila. And she struggles because she wants to have it all. The women in her family ha always had to choose either love or their dreams. They always thought that they were choosing love, but then they didn't find that at the end. And now Camila is presented with both. And so that is her hardest trial how to work it out, how to be true to, to the, the two things that she had strived for the most throughout her life. And the other thing is how she is not saved by the boy, mm -hmm. but she couldn't have been saved herself without the help of her team and the other woman in her life, even her mother. Although she had such a difficult relationship with her mom, she was so judgmental and critical of her mother's choices. In the end, it was a beautiful journey for me to discover that the only way that Camila could free herself from this cycle of toxic love that the women in her family had experienced was to help save her mom. Mm -hmm. because they couldn't do it one without the other. And sometimes I read a lot in stories when, because of the character of, our, of the group, the age group that we write for, like the young adults have to you know, be alone in the world. 
that can happen, but also you're, they still need to be part of their community or their family. That's so important for Camila to still have these bonds to her ancestresses mm -hmm. and her mom. And so uh, she, to be, being free didn't mean to cut these people away from her life. Yeah. And to help them uh, free themselves too. And so uh, it was just a way to show how we're all really interconnected and that uh, in the end, and again, spoiler alert, Diego does come back into her life in a different way. Yeah. How, you know, like if, if it's meant to be, it's gonna come back to you. That's so. right, that's right. Oh, it's such a powerful message. Um, and, and it's very true that we exist within our communities, within the web of, of various communities. So um, I, I've always thought that, you know, when I've been given advice, like, just do this, just do that. It's like, well, what about my mom or my sisters? You know, it's like you do exist in a family, in a community, in a culture. And that kind of connects to my final question. And this is the, the inaugural Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival. And I feel like it would be a missed opportunity if I didn't ask you all to, you know, in a lightning round, just kind of, oh, you know, share your experience as a Latinx author in the business. <laughs> You know that that's a, no, that's a broad question. <laughs> seconds or less. Um, I mean, it's it's a huge topic, right? And we could have a whole panel just on that. But but I thought maybe I could frame it this way: if you could each go around and just um, give some advice to um, specifically to aspiring Latinx uh, writers, um, because these panels didn't exist when we were kind of coming up and we're still of course growing and learning, um, but but it would be great to hear from each of you um, very briefly, just some advice you have for Latinx aspiring authors. All right, uh, we'll start with um, Shamile first and then go up to Jenny, Lucas and Lilian. Very good, well, thank you, Jen. And my, my piece of advice is something that I tell myself all the time, which is a phrase that has followed me or haunted me since I was a very young teen. And it's a phrase from Shakespeare, which says to uh, above all above all else, be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, throughout my career, when nobody wanted a story set in Argentina, told about a girl or from the point of view of a girl who wants to play soccer, I and I kept thinking maybe I should write about something else. Maybe I should not make my characters Latinas anymore. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine. Uh, reminded me of that phrase and that's when I had my my big break and my my, my first offer for a book that was not Furia but I kept going at it and now to to know that she had such a great impact with a super wide uh, audience not only in the US but with all the Argentines scattered all over the world or people for, for whom soccer means so much, or people who don't really even like soccer at all, but they found something in Camila's story that resonated with them. That is the fuel that keeps me going to be true to myself and tell the stories that I wanna tell. I love that. I'm writing that down. Thank you. Okay, Jenny. Um, just, you know, our stories are valid. Our stories are worthy. Um, we may not see that always reflected in the industry or in the classroom, um, but even more reason why mm -hmm. we need to keep telling them. Um, so my advice is for you know young writers to tell the stories of our community and to tell our truth. Yes, um, yes. And to just Definitely. keep at it. Thank you, Lucas. Yeah. 
Jesus, all of the above. And don't don't disbelieve yourselves. Keep, keep believing in yourself because you know you you will hear some harsh things, some things that people outside of our community maybe does listen to. But yeah, at the end of the day, if you just trust yourself and trust that you are making a good work and I don't know, be able to, to make mistakes and to hear the people that, that are publishing right now, watch all those panels and keep writing. Um, Wonderful, great advice, book. thank you. And Lilian. Uh, this is quick. This is, um, you have your art and you have, your, and you have business. And um, make sure you have time for your art, but uh, make sure that you're always all right. getting paid. There you go. You heard it here. Um, all right, we're going to take some questions from some audience members at this point. First one is from Lyra O in sixth grade in Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Lyra, and my question is, how do you take a bunch of ideas and put them in one story? Wow, okay, maybe just a couple of you can answer here. Go for it, just jump in. Okay, I'll go first. A lot of coffee, uh, uh, <laughs> organizing your ideas. I don't know, you stick, you stick yourself to the idea that you like the most and work on that. Uh, and I don't know, if you have any other idea in the middle of the way, write it down, but leave it for later. And write about something that you are in love with because mm. you are writing for a very long time. And so to me, that's it. Wonderful. Great, someone else, that's great. I think um, if you have a lot of ideas that are coming to you for one story, um, find if, it, first of all, think a lot because writing is a lot of not just sitting and actually typing, but you know, just a mm -hmm. lot of thinking. Um, think if these uh, stories go together, if they fit together, and then find that common thing that connects them together. Mm -hmm. you're, yeah, I love that because you're right. I Sometimes staring out the window is, is writing. <laughs> Um, which again is another myth. You know, I, I always thought, like you said, writing was like, I gotta work harder, harder, harder. And it's like, no, it's it's not always that. Um, great, okay, let's take another question from the audience. Okay, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Hi, my name is Lyra and my question is All right, so let's have maybe a couple of you take this one. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? Okay, I'll go, uh, I'll dive in. I have always uh, told myself stories. Uh, ever since I was a little girl, I learned how to speak when I was very, very young. And my mom would always say that I would always even uh, talk in my sleep. <laughs> and so when, it, <laughs> when nobody wanted to listen to me anymore, I just started writing. And that's the way in which I have always processed life and what life means and the big things that happen and like having a new sibling or mm -hmm. saying goodbye to a loved one or moving to a different place mm -hmm. so ever since I was very young. But I didn't know that I could be a writer until I was already an adult and a mom. And I wish I had met a, an author who looked like me and who wrote in Spanglish like I do. And so I, I hope that the, the, the audience watching this, the children especially can be inspired to start putting their stories down uh, sooner than I did. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, I'll just do quickly. I mean, I had the same thing is that to me, writing is my way of coping. It's my way of uh, trying to handle whatever happens, trauma and beauty and joy, all those things. So for me, writing was my tool of survival. And so, um, although it took me a long time to be an author, um, I still use that. I like to write it down. I like to walk around with my notes. So, you know, you don't have to wait to be published. You could write your caption, <clears throat> excuse me, on Instagram. <laughs> you could be a poet. It does not, you don't have to wait to be blessed. You know, you are a writer when you say you are a writer. So. Yeah. Yes. Yay. I love that. Okay. We have one more. Um, no video with this one, so I'll read it out loud. Do you have a favorite character that you've written? If so, who? And what makes them so special? This is from Julia C. in fifth grade in Connecticut. Ooh, all right. Let's have a couple of you take this one. Um, I'll start and I'll go quickly because I know we're running out of time. Um, every character is always my favorite as I'm writing them. <laughs> and I guess that's why uh, right now with We Are Not From Here, I really loved writing um, Pequeña. Um, she's very magical. Um, she lets herself fall into her magical world. Um, but she's also uh, very much anchored in reality and facing reality. Um, and I really loved writing a character that, you know, was kind of like balancing those two things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You did a great job. Thank you. To me, even, even when I hate the character or the scene of that character in that particular time, I love to write about it. But I do love to write about their best friends who isn't the big characters because uh, friendship is a, a team that is so i don't know i love so much to talk about friendship and i love my friends and i can put a, a little bit of my friends in my friends characters so overall all of all of the best friends characters to me is the, my favorite parts of this book yeah okay for me my favorite character one of my favorite characters is karen which is one of the little girls that camila uh, tutors in English at, at a home for for orphan children and also for neglected children. Mm -hmm. And I love writing about her because she's so spunky and she is what Camila could have been if she uh, if she wasn't so afraid of speaking her mind when she was younger. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great way to explore a different side of my character. And that's why they connect immediately. It's because they see in each other a reflection and so, uh, and also again, that hope that Karen has for the future and knowing, and just that arrogance in thinking that she can do better than everybody else. I just love her for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, I agree. Lilian, do you have a- Hi, yeah, just quickly. I, you know, I've already said it, you know, I love yeah. beauty. <laughs> I love my girl, cause she's the one who suffers the most and, um, and she's the one who survives, you know, she overcomes. Like I, you, we talked about who saves each other. They save each other, you know, themselves. Like they realize that they don't, they need to like overcome yeah. this death and, you know, and lose, shed something that's weighing them down. So both of them do, but I love, uh, I love beauty the yeah. most. <laughs> no, I know. It's like, I, I really cared about her and, and I wanted her so badly to, to be okay, you know? And yeah. <laughs> And I guess it's a reflection of all of us. We want us all to be okay, you know? I mean, we, we see ourselves in characters and um, and you really um, all created such rich, drawn out, um, whole 
round characters um, that I'll remember um, for, for years to come. So um, thank you so much. This has been so inspiring and, and it flew by. And I have to tell everybody to just go buy all these books. And um, just to summarize, you know, here, here's the advice that you all gave, right? To thy own self be true. Your stories are valid and they are worthy. Believe in yourself. You have space for your art and for your business and get paid. And finally, drink lots of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for your stories and your storytelling. And we, I personally can't wait for what you come up with next. So everybody stay in touch and thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Jen. Hold up your books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for moderating. You're the best. Yes. This is, fantastic. <laughs> and this is like a treat. I'm like, so here we go. Woo! <laughs>